you know, when you were in uh, academia, when you were in um, grad school, and especially, you know, we were advised when we didn't even have the undergrads there. Everyone was a professor, a postdoc, a PhD student. There's a very little number of master's students when you, when you come, you're like, you think like you're surrounded by smart people. They all have these titles and degrees and they publications and they... So the myth is like you're going to go outside and you're going to find regular people. That's the myth. You go outside and guess what? You find people that don't have degrees, have degrees from colleges or community colleges or health degrees or college drops. And they're so smart, like much smarter than some of the some of professors. And they're so interesting and they're so diverse and they know so they know so many things and they have so great ideas. Well, hello, Yuli, and hello, Lena. Hello. Yuli, so great to see you. Likewise, likewise. <laughs> yeah, we we had the privilege of doing uh initial talk between ourselves, just formally, informally, without recording. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for tonight because your story and your point of view is amazing. And, and I'm dying to share this with other people. So let's start from from you. Yuli, give us your elevator pitch. Who are you? What are you doing today? So my name is Yuli Kerman. Today, I'm a VP of business development at Rhino Health. Rhino Health is a seed stage startup. And we are in a federated learning space, which is for many people sounds like a gibberish unknown what they're doing. So federated learning is Anything with data, we are helping companies that are dealing with data to get to get access to data remotely, train their models, do their analytics, do all the magic that required a big um, big amounts of data. Um, I just started there two months ago, and to be honest, I'm not I'm not a stranger. So I'm coming from another company which uh, been dealing in the same space, similarly LiveRamp, which is not a healthcare company, by the way. Sorry to say, I'm uh, 13 years specifically dealing, specifically working in a healthcare space. However, uh, in the last few years, I am focused in the big data in healthcare space. So, if you have any questions specifically about the healthcare data, my my door is open. My background is scientific. So many years ago, I was at, I'm coming and graduated from Weizmann Institute with master's degree, and I was on the PhD track, but I'm a drop. <laughs> I've dropped from the PhD. That's uh, here in the Bay Area. It's, uh, uh, it's a badge of honor. If you dropped out of Stanford, Stanford, you're probably going <laughs> to go in places, right? I guess Weizmann um, is the same. It's um, yeah, Stanford. You're going. You, usually, people drop for starting their own company or joining some shiny startup. My journey was a little bit different, so um, you know, it's been not an easy, not an easy walk in the park until today. Yes. So maybe maybe let's start at that point. So you are in grad school in in a prestige place. 
Yeah, Weizmann, uh, you know, I always had a dream to get to Weizmann, I think since uh, since high school. I was dreaming myself walking in the walking in this institute and becoming this genius that, you know, in a lab, graduating with PhD, going uh, going globally and becoming a professor. That's what my vision from day one. However, um, while I was graduating with my undergraduate studies in Ben-Gurion, the only place that I applied as, and for the master was Weizmann. There was nobody that, you know, more happier than me than I got my, I, I got in. I was in the lab. And to be honest, it was a struggle from day one. <laughs> I underestimated that, you know, my ability to be in the lab, working the bench, to be in, um, you know, struggling with research, but I got my master and I said, if not now, what not to go into PhD program, right? So it's kind of like continually, everybody does it kind of like, you know, you go with the flow and um, yeah. yeah, everybody does it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. What are you doing Absolutely. next year? <laughs> Obviously, you graduated with master, you go and uh, you jump into the PhD program. Yeah. And then I was in a very specific space and um, two, 2D and a more dynamic and a more ultra fast than a dynamic and a more looking into protein folding 15 years ago, super sexy issue, but maybe 200 people even understood what I'm talking anymore. What nuclear magnetic, what, what are you doing? And the, to be honest, I had a very, like very little knowledge what I will be doing with that. By that moment, I already knew that I'm not probably not going to become a professor. I couldn't imagine myself stay, sticking around the academia for like for life. And, you know, that had been a moment when I would go outside from my very cold lab and, NMR needed a very freezing, freezing 16 Celsius, something like 64 Fahrenheit. I would go to the sunny, <laughs> sunny, um, <laughs> sunny, uh, sunny. It was in Israel, so you know it's sunny outside. I would sit there and thinking about my future, like what can I do in this in, outside there? What can I do? What, what, did long- you, what, what were you missing? I was missing communication. I was missing real world results. Like I would do something, you know, improving 100 milliseconds of this algorithm. I couldn't see how this algorithm could be applied in real life. I couldn't see how I can move real people outcomes. Like how can I impact the world, the real people out there? How can I make someone uh, feel better, I don't know, I was always affiliated with, I was always attracted to healthcare. So I was like, how, and, you know, when I was in high school, I thought I'm going to go to pharmaceutical companies. I kind of like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to save the world. Like, <laughs> I'm going to, we're going to heal everybody. <laughs> so I was like, how is that? This algorithm is really going to impact somebody's life. So that was unclear. And this path was unclear to me how, how it's actually connected to the real life literally was very much under the impression that nobody needs that. Nobody could never going to need it. Despite the fact that, you know, protein folding, maybe we're going to fix proteins. That was kind of like, but for me, it was detached vision from the reality. 
Yeah, you have to look very far and in order to be sort of still focused on that like end goal, which many times will not even be, you know, during your own lifetime. Sometimes, sometimes. And even if somebody would come to me and say, Yuli, you know what, whatever you do, some similar algorithms, we are working on a similar algorithms in the pharma, in the pharma. And maybe one day you're going to apply your knowledge and the R&D and explain me the path to the real world. But I couldn't see it. I only saw people that, you know, chasing publications by that moment. I would go still. It was it was already digital, yeah. but we still kept, like the library still kept this publication to be in print. So you would go and you would see a very long, like, you know, few feet of um publication if you would discover this is just from the beginning of the year and you like in march right you like in march and it was like endless <laughs> publication you drone in this and you kind of like who is even reading all this is there people interested um yeah, yeah so so that so in the intro you said today you're dealing with big data in order to make uh, uh, impactful decisions, so data-driven de- de- driven decisions. I guess this current profession comes from within, so it has a basis somewhere in, in younger Yuri in this course for grad school. So you're at that point that, okay, I don't want to be a PI. This is not the course that, that really align with the values that is me. How do you go about with the decision of what is? How do you gather the data? What what are, what are the next steps like? You know, uh, <laughs> um, my work is I usually work either at the startup or on the insep- like innovation inception of the idea on the big company. It's ambiguity, right? Ambiguity, and you go into that and say, "How do I start?" And we don't know. Like usually, people work in strategy. They think it's going to be very structurized, like in the books. You go there. But actually, at the very first moment, there is so many, like it's a funnel. And I, again, I will use something <laughs> from my, it's a folding when you, when protein folds and the initial and something that all of us scientists could connect is like, and then especially biologists, when the protein folds, it's open. And then it could, it could go different pathway until it folds until something very stable, right? So very first, it's a search in the net. So I just simply said, what can it, like, you go Google and you start looking for different, and at that time was 2008, 2009. Um, the turn of 2009 was the beginning of LinkedIn, but that's starting to be aggregated jobs. And you say scientific, you, you just type some keywords. And sometimes you find luck. And I was... Um, I was actually looking at this job and I saw an application specialist, but I never knew such a such profession exists, an application specialist. And I saw this job, it was um, medical imaging. If I'm not misca- mistaken, they still exist, I think so. And this company was at that time developing MRI for research, which is very close to what I did. And I said, oh, this is a dream job, perfect job. I did not lose any you know, I didn't lose any years and years in academia. I can actually apply my skills. Applied to this job. I was called to the interview. I was brought like advancing in the process at, at the same time being in, at the PhD. So I did not leave. Like, right. I didn't have the courage to leave. 
So mm -hmm. I was interviewing at the end of the process, they looked for someone that been facilitating and, you know, kind of uh, um, between taking their, their product and working with the customers worldwide, it was also a dream job. You, you're going you're gonna to travel. What could be better? And working with the researchers by explaining them the application, by helping them to training them and helping them to adapt to, the, to, to this uh, device. Um, we are very, this is a very narrow niche and we were three applicants, two of them were biologists and I was the, more of the physicist side. So while I could develop the protocol for the MRI machine, I definitely didn't know how to recognize a hypothalamus. And, uh, I couldn't look at the picture. I could say the picture is blurred. I can, I can fix it, but I definitely can tell where's the hypothalamus and they really looked into the this specific um, and sometimes they look into this specific skill and I wasn't accepted to the job that life I wasn't but I recognized that there's a need in medical devices and that was the closest to medical device I could imagine there's a such um there's a such job like application specialist when you use your when you use your technical and scientific background to explain to someone outside how this how this device working, you train someone to work on this device, you adapt to their skill, to their protocols, etc. That was kind of like, oh, this was the aha moment for me. And then I started already using this application, especially using this as a keywords in the job boards or even LinkedIn. And I actually was the early adopters of, uh, adopter of LinkedIn. And I use it since that moment and I'm like liking this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're big advocates of LinkedIn here. <laughs> Long story short, I took a break. I took an academic break at Weizmann. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was a little bit, um, I, I didn't have the courage to quit completely. So I just told my professor in uh, the school that I'm just going to take a break and I didn't see what happening because I kind of was not doing okay. And during that time, I was looking for a job, but I found this job with the medical devices company. So another specialist sort of application specialist. Yeah, I was. Just, I was. I just found an application specialist role, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was good. Like it was the beginning, and I I knew what to do. It wasn't with any by, by any chance with NMR. It was more like broader job with medical devices, where I was responsible for many different devices. And this is for the first time I actually was exposed to healthcare IT, which today this is my day job. I'm, I'm carrying this knowledge until today. And I knew how to communicate with devices from my PhD. I knew how to a little bit program them and that needed a little bit programming. And I was going and I could understand the bugs. It's like we, we were had a gaps in, in, in transmission and I would understand what's happening only because I've just been troubleshooting my NMR device all the time. Right. So that, that's a transferable skill. Huh? <laughs> it's a transferable skill. If you're technical, it's a transferable yeah. skill. If you do something on the bench and then you have to go to, to, to speak about some mechanisms, it's a transferable skill. It's, cool. it's a learning is a transferable skill. As a PhD student, you always expected to learn something new. You're expected to learn MATLAB. You're expected to learn some new software expected to understand a lot like you you expected to do a lot of reading and screening and additional applications so you're adaptive you're 
you learn very fast new, new stuff. Right. So how did you change directions into into business? Oh, I was hustling. I was uh, I was application specialist and application specialist. There there have two jobs. When the pre sale, when you coming and doing pilots, death by the pilot. Remember, <laughs> and. Um, so the salespeople are actually not around. Salespeople kind of opening the doors, negotiating contracts. But even until today, people suddenly they call solution architects today. So don't be confused. Not necessarily look for application specialists. There's a lot of solution architects if you're in, in IT. Um, so salespeople not necessarily doing the groundwork. There's a lot of help from, uh, and it's a lot dependent on the character of, of this. Uh, can I use? Uh, it's like it's a support support force mm -hmm. that as a it's a it's a lot of and and a lot of the pilot success is actually depend not on the sales people but a lot on the people that supporting the sales the pre-sale people uh a lot of job office so i was kind of this pre-sale person that's been on a job and i was pushing and pushing and pushing and my and I started to see success and we started to get approvals because there's a first committee approval. And I was kind of competitive, pushing it around. <laughs> and my superiors, they just noticed that we that I'm like, I have those business skills. I have this business acumen. Again, it was something that I didn't learn any, anywhere. It's just part of my, so it's, it's, it's great to recognize what you're tendencies like natural tendencies my natural nemesis i always been competitive it was like until i had someone very successful with my faculty like when i was an undergraduate someone very successful i want to be like i want to be better than than, than them right <laughs> than, than, than her than she than him than her but it was like i'm super competitive so that that's been around all the time since schools and probably kindergarten so and, and the salespeople, there are a lot of businesses, a lot of competition. You want to, to succeed. You want to show. You want to prove someone something. So they just notice that I'm more more suitable for sales and good salespeople. They're always needed. So my first promotion was from this application specialist to sales. And then, you know, you prove yourself and sales was not enough. So I was, you know, I was working hard and covering for others and then when my manager was not doing her job and she was not comfortable in her position I was kind of like taking all those invoices working with our VP of operation where you're closing all those deals and they finally show that I'm not just demonstrating sales skills but I also doing some more administrative managerial position I'm leading and uh, I'm supporting others and helping others and there was Bunny Gap, and I was promoted to be country manager for Israel. And that's, I had three promotions. I stayed in my first job for five years simply because you just prove yourself on the first job. And this is the, 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 very, the very good thing like, it's prove yourself on the first job when you get promoted. So, so if someone fresh out of academia is looking into uh going towards business so building a of career towards business so do you recommend like generally finding uh an entry-level position at a company with which is more technical like the field application specialist or solution architect and then from there progressing or it's possible to do from like the the straight uh, transition like hard transition from You've you done your academic work straight into something that is completely different, sales or business. 
there's, oh, this is a very good question. There's so many different jobs outside. So I just mentioned just my personal path, but there's so many jobs. Someone that graduating could go into VC. We don't know, but VC is not just partners, right? There's not just managing or uh, managing partners or general partners. There's a lot of associates. And to someone that's interested in have, again, this ability to kind of screen a lot of information and dig into research, like researching ability, statistical ability, everyone is, everyone is capable. And interested in kind of investing in the future, entering the VC world is actually very good after graduation. Because for me now, I'm super interested in a VC world, but I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I'm too junior to become a general, a general partner. I'm not, I'm not junior, junior at all, but I'm like, I, I don't have an, I, I'm not enough to become a general partner. I need some, you know, need some exit on my, <laughs> behind, behind my back to, to step in into the general partner position. Um, or a very senior role, like taking the startup to IPO that would make me, uh, if Rhino is going IPO, I'm probably going to switch to VC. <laughs> so, or, or retire. <laughs> not, I'm not going to retire at Ford. So you step in or you step as associate and I'm too senior to be an associate because associate work is more like, you know, bringing the deals into the pipeline, screening a lot of startup, hustling around, being continuously staying with, with the founders in touch with the founders looking for and, and, and preparing those reports for your general partner. So someone outside of the academia is a really, really good step in. The, in, in and if you have a depth of the knowledge, like biology today, like single cell biology, um, which is growing trend, um, you know, all of this more in-depth expertise when the partners have no idea, they know how to invest the money, but they need to someone to really to really understand if the founders are talking, if there's scientific time, scientific pitch, it really makes sense. That one of the stepping in, and then you start, you start to understand. Then you can always walk away from VC and go to working for some startup. But then when you're you're already learning the business, you know what does it mean? ARR or all of this uh, magical world when you say it's your pipeline. So okay, my pipeline is like that. So this was one of the. Um, and then when you walk into the, you don't necessarily see. So when you walk into the startup, yeah, if you're, there's like executive position or more junior position, obviously to be in an executive position for the startup, it's better to have some experience because you want to you want to bring value. Uh, but if you go to like a bigger company, there's a lot of, again, strategy position. Again, the same word from companies sometimes looking to acquire companies. So there's like more like strategic strategy operational position within MA. There's a lot of people looking into um, the scouting for, for the technology. So and not necessarily all of them are super senior. Some of them mid-level positions. Somebody has to do the groundwork. There's a decision made by maybe you know chief strategy officer or VP of strategy. But there's a lot of scouting work to be done and going out there. There's a different director level position. That are sometimes they're, you know, individual individual contributor, but they're more like expert work. When um, and you, you know, you you're responsible for a field, like for a sector, uh, so you can 
use a lot of your knowledge previously from the academia and uh, there's a grant applications. There's entire field. There's a lot of companies that, that leave from the grant. So they say there are supplementary income of the grant application. There's no one better than, than the scientists coming outside of academia that know how to, how to apply grants. Right. And today there's so much money, so, so much money in, in the government. There's so many government grants or NGO, different NGO grants that this job is in, is, is, is continuously growing. So there is so many jobs that not necessarily you have to go for a very entry level position, but it's it's also depends how you position yourself and how you actually make the balance between what 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 you know to do and you translate translate what what you did in academia, how it translates to what people outside actually understand. Yeah. And, and like for today when you when you look at people to hire. Okay, so you look to surround yourself in, when, today in Rhino Health with, with talented people coming out of academia or with scientific background um, without much experience. Okay, Let, let's say, what would you be looking for in a candidate coming out of academia that, uh, that mark him as like more suitable or uh, um, how you say it, like a better prospect to grow? In, in the business world, not necessarily the scientist. He's a good scientist or he, she's a good scientist, but more like you would recommend for them to go into the business element. What yeah, are those like secret qualities? Curiosity. Curiosity. The same, yeah, the same, the same one that you have in science and most of the science should have it. Otherwise they would never go into the science. And a lot of the time, like, one of the feedbacks that I got in, first of all, what what drives me today, like almost every day, what drives me when I wake up in the morning and I said, why would it, why would I know something, right? I'm never trying to show somebody and I'm never trying to kind of, it's curiosity. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in the subject and I think, Everyone that will be interested in the subject, it doesn't matter that they maybe don't have an experience. Experiences, yeah, it's valuable experiences. Of course, if you if you if you do this one time, that second time, it's helping. It's helping to know that this is probably not going to work, but that's going to work, and it's more like a gut feeling. But to overcome this, and again, if you have some one person experienced in leading this and then you want to hire someone if I would be hiring director right now. So I do want to see curiosity. Like I am now interviewing for a role at Solution Architect actually <laughs> in IT space. And my first question, I don't care about, like I do care about, the, you know, the experience I could see from the CV. Resume stands like, that stays more like LinkedIn, I, I can see the experience. I don't need the repetition, someone repetitively saying, you know, coming back of what they did in the career. The first question is, do you know what federated learning is? Mm -hmm. Right? Because that's what we do. Not many people know, and I'm definitely not expecting no one that work like very few people now could say, oh yes, I worked for a company that was doing federated learning. That's is very rare. That's like, it's not, but if someone said, says to me, you know what, I did not, I, I, I and I like, maybe I, 
I do not expect you to know this, but did you, did you like read about it a little bit? And if I hear no, <laughs> or a little bit from your website, so much about it online. Like there's so many publications, there's so many articles. Which percentage of people actually know what it is? I don't want to talk. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh from, from people that I'm yeah. into it's so simple I'm just I was like I was just recently at LinkedIn and somebody somebody was recruiting that said interviewed something like 170 people and 95% of the people did not research the company like literally did not research besides going to the website like simply PR you know, some yeah, some posts on LinkedIn, something beyond the website, just looking what they do more than just about. Yeah. And this stands apart. This is like if you know, and this is coming from curiosity, right? If you if you come to this, if you're curious, you will be naturally researching more about this company. Mm. Because you're curious, you cannot do something else. <laughs> it's you're naturally you're just you're you're just digging digging deeper. But most of the scientists, I I, I think this is this is the part that someone that is not an experienced scientist could go all like to go out and show the curiosity could could stand apart from anybody else that has like five years of experience or seven years experience and could just say, hey. Maybe that per that person maybe doesn't have any experience, but they but their natural curiosity is so is so profound that we we just wanted that person yeah. working. Friends, prepare to your interviews. <laughs> Be ready. <laughs> I think it's it's yeah, not only uh, sorry for it's yeah. not only yeah. uh, curiosity, but it's also sort of you know knowing your values, knowing what you care about. Um, I I sort of started looking for a job and. It, I wouldn't even apply to a company that I don't know, you know, what they do and if that sort of aligns with my interests and, and my goals. So yeah, I, I yeah, get ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I couldn't agree more because I usually I get used I was one time I was fired from a job. You know, I'm like I'm like, no, it's not me. It's not like you always you always kind of you know, concern about the job, about your performance. But if you're like high achiever or you want to perform on a job, you usually do your job well. And then you might like your job less or you, you might do like your job more. But if you're interested in the job itself, maybe less of the people, but you're a performer. You're, but if it's not yours, like you said, if the values is not aligned, if they're not doing what it's like you're passionate about or you don't care about it, or it's not it's like it's maybe not as ethical as you thought. Like there's so many reasons you could feel detached. You're not gonna perform well. It doesn't matter who you are. Right. You could you could be the best, the best, you know, the the you could be the best worker in the world. You can be high achiever, you will be succeeding. And if it's not aligned with you. It's very hard to be successful on that job. You either be super miserable and doing it despite the fact that you like it, or you're just gonna it's gonna show up in your performance. Right. I remember you had a good story about how 
you were sort of getting ready to move to San Francisco, right? You sort of, you understood the the differences that you sort of the gaps you need to to overcome in order to be successful here at the Bay. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that I was scared, super scared. I was very, very scared to to be moving to the other country because I I was kind of like my entire life was in Israel. I never when I was I was my my last few years, my last four 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 to five years I spent in Asia. I was actually managing business in in two for two different companies, but in Asia, and I would fly a lot. I was living in between countries, but I never really took myself and relocated to the other country, right? I never, never actually went and uh, did something and like, you know, moved to the other country and started from scratch. And um, to some degree, it was kind of like hitting the ceiling in Israel because I was already managing Europe and Asia and it was I really wanted to go and manage the U.S. market, but it it happens that if you're in if you're an Israeli company, you would open an office in the U.S., but you would never, uh, but but you would never send a person from Israel to U.S. You would rather find someone very, very like local. It doesn't matter; it could be Israeli, but someone that embedded in in, in the U.S. market and only and definitely living there, like if not. It's, it's not happening with me with flying. It's not because of the distance. It's because of the volume still U.S. It's presenting. It's always the U.S. and not all, not all not the rest of the world. So, again, the amount of business that U.S. Generate for, generates for the Israeli, not just for the healthcare, but in any, others, in, any, in any other sector is just a big. And moving to the U.S., Imagine I had an experience in Israel, I had an experience in Asia. I did not have an experience in the U.S. I didn't have any experience in the U.S. market, and maybe my maybe I didn't know anything about U.S. cultural work. I I knew a little bit because I worked for a company uh, from Mazar Robotics, and I was sent previously to go to the to the Asia. I was sent to U.S. So I had kind of had this experience of three months. Uh, shadowing our U.S. sales team and learning a little bit about how the things are done in the U.S. But I knew nothing about. Um, so, and initially, I just been working um, for small startup, um, more like uh, almost like volunteering. Was on the founding team a little bit, kind of, uh, and also on the other side. And I was. Doing maximum was going to all the meetups in the San Francisco when I just moved. I was also advising to some startups in Israel how to take them to the American market. Little did I know that I really didn't know anything by that point. <laughs> but I would go to every meetup in SF, which is somehow related. And I am living in, New, in in San Francisco. I do not drive in, in the U.S. I don't even have a driving license in the U.S. I, I'm, I'm driving in Israel, but. I'm not driving here. There's a very good uh, meetup in Sunnyvale once a month. It's not, it's COVID just stopped it, but it was a very good meetup in healthcare, in uh, digital health. And I would go every month, two hours by train, by, oh by, by, by BART, by train, <laughs> by, by bus, 
to plug and play, be there, talking to people, making connection, growing my network, talking with like, and there's a different people attend the startup. Some of them are engineers, some of them CEOs, some of them VPs, some of them in business, some of them in product development. But I would talk, learn about every small thing, connecting the dots, attending all the shows. I would go to accelerators. I would go to all the demo days of the accelerators. Indigo, Indibio, I would go to the, all of their demo days here. Again, plug and play, startup news, all of those places. And every time I would learn something new about the market, about the business, about the lingua, about the vocalic, you know, about the jargon. And by the time I had my papers, my documents, um, and I started to applying to jobs, and again, I would apply to many jobs. I didn't know that I want to stay in business. I definitely wanted to stay in business and being some more like a business development person. But I would apply to all jobs. I would apply to product management roles. I would apply for sales roles. It was kind of clear for product marketing manager. I didn't know what to do, but I couldn't identify that. I, I didn't know how those jobs are called because some of the jobs we don't have, we didn't have in Israel. Many jobs we, we wouldn't have in Israel who would have product marketing. <laughs> Seriously, there's a lot of the jobs that were product marketing managers, product marketing director. It's all been done by, mar by marketing in Israel. We didn't have all these fancy positions and, you know, sales strategy, sales operations. And I didn't know the, the, the nuances of what every, everyone, like what every position stands for. Mm -hmm. But when I would come, I would understand that either I don't want to do that or I maybe don't have the skills to do that. They specifically using for someone that did that for repeatedly for many, 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 many years. And I don't have the qualification. He did something very, yeah, I, I can manage, but I don't have the skill they're looking for. So yeah, I was kind of like, again, shooting to all, all directions, kind of embed myself into the culture, into the jargon, just to like a sponge that's kind of trying to accept and I don't know, just to to feel it. Like it's almost like fake it until you <laughs> make it. So you attend there, you you don't pretend anything, but you pretend yourself you're already like maybe you're scouting. Like you go to this accelerator demo days and you're like, what if I would be here on behalf of someone's business development role, corporate development role? How would I look? Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> when you go back, you can kind of like say, oh, yes, I know this startup and that startup. And I... Sorry, yeah, so, I think, so I think that the, the, this is a point that we constantly, you can say even advocate in this and in, in the series of interviews in this podcast, because you, you took the step within your career and moved and moved to the U.S., it, to take part in this ecosystem. Um, but a lot of our listeners are like in grad school or postdocs, and they, they're moving within, still within the notions that they are progressing towards a PI position. But, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of the biggest advocates of this, if you've done this and you move to a place like Boston, like Seattle, like San Francisco, 
you got the opportunities around you, you should exploit it as exactly as you said. You, you should go to every meeting. You should meet other people outside of your field of interest. Just, just educate yourself. And even if, even if you are not changing course, it just makes you more confident that what you are currently on, which is for a postdoc the route to a PI, is exactly what you want to do. And, and to me, it seems that it will just increase passion. Or you will find a new passion and you'll find something else you want to do that is more interesting. You want impact. You want, you want to be uh, in business, in marketing, in writing, in whatever. You should explore. The, you should take every opportunity, as you mentioned. Like, I think this is like the best. Probably there will be the headline of this, <laughs> of this episode. Like, take every opportunity and, and, and educate yourself. You know, I, I I I didn't check what's going on, but one of the first of all being here, I don't know, like it was COVID, it's it's changed, right? We we have much like less less events, less in person events. But I remember myself, it's a tremendous change when JP Morgan, very few people, even in the industry, invited to JP Morgan, like to get into those suits, to these floors, to either have a super hot startup. Or a company that buying, um, you know, like buying other companies, you have to be formal, you have to be hiring VC or investment banker. There's a few real people making there inside, but people don't even recognize how many free events have taken place around the city during the JP Morgan. And there is like a website that they consolidate those events. And believe me, one like I spent two JP Morgans. I I moved in 20, 2018 in March, and I spent and I was in 20, 2020 and 2019. And I don't know if it's gonna happen. This uh, this in twenty twenty one. It, it happens. It happens this this it, year as well. It, okay, it so in nineteen and twenty, I was so busy going around just attending the free events that I was like circling around the city, making sure, and I was double booked, my calendar was kind of double booked. So, and the amount of new information that you get and learn in these three days give you a very good perspective of where the pharma stands right now, what are the trends, where is the digital health, what are the trends, what about like medical devices, what are the trends, it's coming. It's in January. It's just around the corner. Start looking on the events. I think like search on Google um, for like free events and you can find it. It's really like uh, keywords and just enroll yourself. Sometimes there are limited places. So if you do this in advance, you're going to get your place there for free. And yeah. um, uh, Jay, for, for the for people who, who listen and don't know, so JP Morgan Health is, is an invitation only, as you mentioned, Kind of conference, and you can get, as you mentioned, Julie, you can get a, a Ford view straight from the, you know, from the from the mouth of the dragon. You can hear the CEO of Novartis, Pfizer, talk about how they see the future, and those are the people who like shape the future. So their their opinion matter, and you can you can come in and and and, uh, and like again educate yourself. And about taking opportunities, a, a funny story about JP Morgan. So I came here first year, and I uh, I came around um, 
the California Israel Chamber of Commerce. It's a, a nonprofit organization that promotes uh, the integration of the, the uh, integration of Israeli business in all kind of in all kind of sector uh, many sectors into the Bay Area or California ecosystem. Now, Sharon Venek, who, Venek who, were, who ran this, looked for volunteers to run the Israeli section within JP Health. And she said, if you volunteer, whoever volunteers gets like a, a, a pass for a couple of hours to the event itself. And I said, yeah, I would do it. And in the price of just like me, being a meet and greet kind of receptionist for a day, for a whole day, and helping the cause of, again, helping Israeli startups make the first step and in introduction into the US system, I got to see exactly what you mentioned. I got to see the people that makes that makes the big decisions talk about how they see the world. And that was, I don't know, like first six months in a postdoc, just moved to the US, that was an eye opener. So exactly incredible as incredible story. That's incredible story. Yeah, always like, you know, always looking to volunteer. Take opportunities, even if it, you know, it's not, it's not a job. It's it's a volunteer of doing something that is you consider maybe lame or or stupid, but if it gets you in in the circle. Yeah, yeah. And my first job, and if we're talking about it, like how it pays off. So I was like, you know, getting myself emerged into this startup. And I knew almost every startup, what they do, how they do it. I knew a lot about the ecosystem. And I think I sent a lot, like I was, oh, by the way, you always have to be proactive and you're going and not necessarily always say, don't rely just on your network. People say, rely on your network, make friends. To get it, like to get an interest someone, it doesn't mean you're going to get a job because maybe you're not suitable for this job. So opportunistically, someone can introduce you, you're going to they're going to hire you, but that's not maybe even your best job. Maybe it's not. Today was once you have, you know, you have access to LinkedIn and, and, and the internet. You can actually cold calling people and trying to reach out and being, uh, so I was doing all of this stuff. I was applying for jobs and people sort of don't apply. I did apply for jobs and I got like, but I also was going and trying to kind of like my second, third tier circles of friends, uh, not friends, but kind of like connections and trying to connect somehow. But as you know, sometimes like the penicillin, <laughs> um, by, my first, by my real first job in, in the US, they reached out to me. I don't know how I just, you know, they searched me on LinkedIn and I showed up and I, they maybe saw my past. Maybe they've been, you know, interested in my, um, in what I posted on LinkedIn. But they reached out to me and I almost dismissed them because I thought this company is not a really healthcare company. What, why would I? And then something told me, yeah, just, you know, answer why. What, what do you do? You don't have a job. Just answer them. And I did. And they look for someone that will open their products to the healthcare industry. They didn't look for specifically, did I do sales operation? Did I do sales specifically in, in the U.S.? Did I do sales to West, you know, in, in the West Coast in the U.S.? Did I know all the people in this and such and such company? They didn't look for that. They looked for something else. They looked for someone that understands the ecosystem, the entire industry, and 
could figure out how their products could apply, what is the sweet spot where the products could be adopted to the to the healthcare industry. They looked for a head of business and in business incubation and um, at, at, at their uh, for opening and opening a new vertical. And then it paid off because I was that person because the last you know six months I spent going around and learning about every possible company here in the in the area, but not only. Um, I would look at the competition and the competition would sit in New York and that's the way I knew. So suddenly it all connected and I showed up and I started showing in this sector we can apply like that because I understood this sector, I understood that sector, I understood that group of companies. So they're looking for that. This is the trend. This is they looked at that because when I made the presentation, they thought, okay, she understand she understands the ecosystem. That's the person we're looking for. And, uh, and then open the door and that's how I found a job. Even though I did not have this, for many jobs, I, did, I didn't have the specific skills. I was dismissed from many jobs despite being qualified, despite being, uh, you know, despite having the experience. But I had the experience in Asia. I didn't have the experience in the West Coast. I couldn't manage, I couldn't manage a, like, U.S. sales because I didn't have the specific experience. So those job dismissed me, but other job, but the other job is actually found this. And it wasn't based even on my experiences. Of course, they were impressed. Yes, I could show that I did that and that and that. But that was not what brought me to this job. What brought me to this job and opened the door and and got their interest is my understanding of this ecosystem. So and I, and again, that's anyone that is like you said. Came to this Silicon Valley to the postdoc, have the time, some of the time, right? We all never have time, but some of the time could embed and help find this interesting job. And my job was very interesting. Like, life of my job was super interesting. It's kind of like taking and growing the startup within a public company. You're growing business from scratch. You're trying to realize what is the added value of these products to this industry and how you can mitigate the gaps and how we can you know, augment the product to be suitable for the specific segment, for the specific vertical. And again, I learned a lot. There's a many things they didn't ask me that I didn't know. And I learned on the job that I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't know that I have to, uh, they didn't know that there's going to be gaps because they couldn't check it. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have the knowledge to understand the, this, this, but because again, I have this, scientific background I could easily find it out yeah. I just checked read reached out to people asked and kind of connected the dots analytically and figured it out and they didn't even pay attention that I didn't know them. yeah so you were growing together yeah you and the company absolutely yeah I think I think it's my main this product yeah, yeah I think it's a, it's a really important message is that almost in any job you would go there's sort of something you bring with you. This is why they're taking you, but also something that you need to learn and they need to be confident that you'll be able to learn to sort of and bring that gap and close that gap until you sort of move on afterwards. And um, and I think that's something that our sort of scientists, it, it, it's so critical to understand is that they're bringing so much that everything about their background, whether it's sort of their scientific skills or transferable skills or experience, or just understanding, you know, academia and the sort of how research is done, they can bring that with them 
and the whatever is left, sort of the gap that is needed, uh, that is still there, they can sort of overcome it with time. And I think no one really joins or starts a, a job where they know everything about it. Like that, that's not interesting anymore. <laughs> Yeah, we had yeah. this. Uh, we had this when we talked to uh, a, a Manor, and he said exactly that. So, it, when when you get to a place in a job that you know everything, that means you're not growing anymore. You're not in a growth mindset. So you might want to move on. Absolutely, <laughs> it, it 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 is. It is like that, and um, you know, sometimes um, I can understand. I, I don't understand how people switching and going to some other company just for a better paycheck, but doing exactly the same. I was like, how their managers even accept, like how they, how did you offer them job if they came to do exactly what they did in the last job that, that, that didn't show, that doesn't show growth. I want someone that, you know, make a, make, makes a leap do something kind of challenging, challenging themselves, uh, challenge themselves. So yeah, I mean, it's always going to be something that you didn't do before. And um, I, I, I don't have any, I didn't do any job twice in my life. Like I was in Israel, I came as this application specialist, did the sales job, did this manager job for the first time. Then was one moment in my career when I really, really wanted to do to go international. I mean, still doing sales, but it's very different from managing the sales when you have the rap and it's in the same country. And then suddenly you you want to manage partners and distributors in distant um, distant business on a distant territory. It's very different. Yeah, you understand it's the same sales. You have to make proposals and you have to track forecasting. There's some, you know, technicalities on the job, but there's a lot of things that I didn't know and I really wanted to leap into that. And I did that. And then I did this job for a while. And um, then I never been in a, so I went first very much like an exception startup that I worked, I stick around for, Serp that did not know what it's different. Rhino is actually like we kind of have a technology that we are taking. Yes, we're kind of today we're we're looking for we're looking for use cases that the technology could be applied, but it's much easier when you have just the idea, you know, like you have the big idea how I'm doing AI uh, virtual assistant. If if we got to Rhino, and I'm dying to ask this for a couple for like yeah. about 30 minutes now. What is federated learning? What is the technology in Rhino? And who what what like, what are you doing? What is business development in, in Rhino? Oh, that's that's a good question. In Rhino, I say I am called VP of business development, but to be honest, I'm responsible for anything commercial. Like anything that has to do with any commercial activities at Rhino. Uh, I'm doing it, but let's first touch a little bit about this magical federated learning. And, and again, federated learning is just one use case that you can do with federated approach. So federated approach to data is that data is not aggregated. It's a big data, but it's not aggregated in one place. It's 
absolutely the opposite of what all the big tech are doing. So big tech now controlling the world because they are consolidating all the data. They So Facebook has a data on 2 billion people. Google has data on probably all the entire planet. There is no one that is like probably 5 billion the meta people. universe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they want to turn us to the meta universe. Federated is that the data remains, and it actually came for the first, it, it, it originated in 2016 at Google because they wanted to use, uh, they wanted to train their algorithms on uh, the data on our phone, but we never actually contribute this data to their clouds. There is a lot of data that remains local on the phone, and it's never transferred to People just do not allow the data to be transferred to the central cloud, but they still wanted to take advantage of that data that allocated on the personal phones. And with enabling the federated learning, you keep control over the data. You enable the data to, so instead of taking all the data to the central cloud or the central hub and apply the model, all the data remains on the on the sites on the, on the, on the end on the, on the users and the user sites and the model is actually distributed to the end points trained collected averaged and packed so ne- data never they actually never leaves the the original place never leaves the source so this is federated learning Within time, that was invented by Google. This is a methodology, but there's a lot of things to develop on top of it. So Rhino is actually not developing the actual task of distributing the model. That's we used NVIDIA's open source for that, or open source, open code for, for actual distributing the model. But we're de- developing the platform on top of it. So it's going to be useful for, you know, not just for, very talented data scientists that are the you that you know developing apps day in day out but it's actually for an average data scientist that doesn't have the time to develop each time taking the software developer tools and developing each time manually to deploy those algorithms but just plug and play redeveloping the platform on top of it so this is goes in then you're just apply your code converting it to be federated within the press of the button and all the other like you 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 can check the data is standardized because there's so many things that we don't think how those things work you need to make sure that the data is actually standardized in every place on the on on the end point a lot of things were helping so we're converting like three three months of deployment into two two hours of work and now we're so the results themselves, once the federated uh, um, algorithm goes and does the analysis locally, the yeah. results themselves are not private. They're not. They're not protected by privacy laws. So you can, because they did. They, they are they. they the weights. The weights of the model. The weights of the model. They. They. The they outcomes. Actual, the, the outcomes. outcomes of, they are. They are. They, they are private to the to the owner of the algorithm. Okay, but not me. But if, it, if it if it analyzes my data on my phone, the data I have is private. It's my it, it's my it's your like, data. It's my data. I I'm not contributing to anyone. But if the analysis is running on the data locally and doesn't share any bits of my data, but but the results of the algorithm itself back. Yeah, the way. So this mm-hmm. is not protected by privacy. This is not mine. This is the analyzer. 
the the one who it's a, it. it's a tricky question right so if it's a consumer world so you consenting and google just uses that and probably you get back so this is more like a shared economy because you contributing your data in an exchange you're getting a better personalized mode or you can use of this algorithm right it's it's for example that's how youtube works by the way none of your none, none of your um none of your viewership is actually leaving the youtube the local youtube mm-hmm. but it's the the algorithm is federated into the local youtube and it's improved your your viewers so you're actually getting an immediate reward by allowing this mm-hmm. the interesting thing is how to figure out how it's in the bigger one right right because if um if the commercial company now want to develop like GE or Philips or Hologic or any big whale or even a small startup want to develop an AI algorithm in healthcare, want to use the data from you, from me, but actually this data is aggregated with hospital. And many times when I go to Kaiser, I wait, like I consent, I, 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 don't, I don't care to donate my data for research. Even though that I know that the, my hospital might might charge money on the company, that eventually the data will be sold. Um, but in the future, could we find anything like how do I benefit from this? Yeah, for the for the greater good, I know that probably this data is going to be the, the data going to contribute, and we're going to develop a better model, and the clinical outcome is going to become better. But someone going to get money of it, and I am not going to get money. I'm just going to pay probably more for my healthcare bills, right? So this is one of the directions, like ethical direction, who can, who, who's supposed to be contributed and who's going to be uh, participating in this value chain, how this IP is going to be. If I Today, the hospital just licenses the data. It doesn't have any royalties. In, in, in doesn't have any, like the hospital today just charge a lot of money, bulk money from the, from the company. It actually enables to big companies to, to benefit from the data and it's actually limiting the number of startups that can get access to good data. But it's licensed and it's forgotten it's, it's forgotten. Like it's it's the data been transferred once, it's licensed, it's mm-hmm. somewhere and now it's just beard and uh, and somewhere of cloud and it's not forever benefiting. In reverse, if you open it up and you start doing graph shares or royalties or some participation and you can move it back to the patient. To the patient level, you just need to find a mechanism how to be doing this. I'm not I'm not saying we're going to solve this in the next five years, but I do see in like trajectory and a trend that uh, that that could be shared back in some way. Like I other got preventive care um, screenings for like for free or something. Like there's could be fine models like you could benefit the patient and incentivize people to bathe and contribute the data to the research. So so your role in commercialization or business development is to find the business model to apply. So you, you got the technology, you got the idea, and now you need to make a business out of it? Something like that. That's very good. <laughs> We got a technology, right? We have a very smart, like our, we have a very smart engineers and we have a very talented VP of product. And um, our CEO is just, he's coming from MGH and he has actually was doing this job and his job at MGH is trying to train COVID. By the way, COVID facilitated a lot of this because when you're in COVID, you don't have time to go for data sharing agreements. You need the data today because 
COVID patients are keep coming. Nobody knows what's going on with COVID. And, you, and there is a very little data in each institution. And then you say, I need no data from 20 institutions to make sure to make any sense of my model because one institution cannot give me this data. It's not, not enough. So there's a lot of federated ideas came during COVID. And um, so there's some COVID losers, COVID winners, federated, federated approach to that is definitely COVID winner. Is there something that you know that was uh, found using federated data? Because at some point, I remember maybe half a year ago, maybe a year ago, that there was this sort of big pushback against AI saying that AI didn't really manage to sort of help and really identify anything sort of critical about COVID, about treatments. And I wonder whether sort of federated data managed to sort of contribute that, something yeah, that was so, actually used. So that's how actually Rhino was born. So Itai, our CAO, Itai Dayan, he was at Medigh at that time. He wanted to facilitate the project across 20 different institutions globally, not just in the U.S., because COVID is actually not just impact the U.S. It's, it's a global phenomenon. So they used NVIDIA's Clara to facilitate that project. It's, it was painful because each you, you need to implement this, you know, software, software developer tools. And yeah, they found a, the exam is like which I can share with you. This is uh that's been published in Nature Medicine uh, just recently. And um and by the way, it's helping me a lot because now I work with a lot of researchers actually. So my scientific background really helping me. Mm-hmm. So um, so it was published in because the data was diverse, because the data was, because uh, they, they had data from Brazil, they had data from UK, they had data from US, they had data from Taiwan. They could find a good, actually, actually outcome of chest, uh, chest pneumonia and it, didn't, it, could, it showed a very good result that been validated later on some other sites and showed a very good um, traction of AI. So that made him think, let me build a platform that instead of you know two months of deployment and sweat and tears, how we actually work with the software tools, I will build a platform that we will do this in, in, in weeks and maybe in days. So now we actually repeating a new project uh, already with our platform, same global project, uh, this brain aneurysm and uh, hopefully I don't want to spoil any but hopefully we're going to stand it up instead of two months and uh, two weeks but again I'm not promising what we'll be talking about we are going to RSNA and let's see if it's going to work so cool but, you, but back to this more commercial yeah exactly how to make business out of it so there's been a, an amazing idea right there's been an amazing idea Grow that that grew basically from a need of a researcher, uh, and um, from somebody that been developing AI um, with brilliant engineers that knew everything about uh, Federated because our CTO is coming actually from Google, and now how we make money out of it, right? Because where every commercial entity eventually by the end of the day, if you take investment, if you take investment, you want to make money. So now you think about business model, how how you charge, what makes sense to charge in the long term and the short term, how 
how you build the business model and how you make the proposal, that one aspect of the job. The other aspect of the job is just making it talking to, to people and validate what is the use case that is more painful for them. Now, talking about different segments, to which segment is going like, to talk to providers and you know, we're going to talk to pharma, how it will work for pharma, how it will work for, for vendors that sell to pharma. There's entire analytics, how we can be useful to that. Geography, which geography we're going to fit, how we, how we actually fit in the U.S. There's a different regulations. In U.S., you can buy the data. You can go for pain, for, for pains and actually buy the data. But in Europe, there's a GDPR rules, policies and regulations that nobody can actually export the data. So how do you even facilitate AI in Europe? They, they, they made this regulation in 2018 and they, they actually felt this, this in COVID, they couldn't share the data. So how are you helping them, um, how are you helping to overcome this hurdles, this GDPR? So yeah, this is the commercial and, and you have to sing. And there is a less glorious work, contracts. You need to write, you, you use lawyers, but you need lawyers. They don't understand what aspect of business or what aspect, what nuances you want to include in your contract. So you have to draft contracts. You have to structure deals. You have to understand the terms. That's where experience matters, right? But if not experience, you go online mm -hmm. and there's a lot of contracts out there. So you start reading them. And even though you don't have your own contracts, you start reading the other contracts and say, that fits my, that, that more or less fits my product, that, that looks like my product. So there's a lot of things in Google. You do yeah, research, so basically. <laughs> you do research. Yeah, <laughs> you go back to basics and you do research. <laughs> and like, you, like, you know, back in, back in the days, you go to some publications and sometimes you start doing what is their methodology and you start repeating those methodologies and slightly tweaking them. That's the thing. Like, you know, don't know how to go to the bench. You go. To <laughs> yeah, you do research. Back to the basics. You always do your research. As we were sort of uh, making these uh, interviews, we realized there are a lot of sort of myths about, uh, about industry that sort of people especially researchers, young researchers are really not aware of. And I'm sure you remember that from your time as a, as a PhD student in Weizmann, when you were sort of thinking about, you know, leaving academia, thinking about the industry, there are a lot of sort of preconceptions that uh, I'm sure turned out to be wrong. So um, that's, that's our question is sort of what kind of myth uh, you can tell us about that sort of you thought is about, the industry or academia and uh, turned out to be wrong? It's a very tough question. <laughs> you know, when you were in uh, academia, when you were in grad school, and especially, you know, we were advisement. We didn't even have the undergrads there. Everyone was a professor, a postdoc, a PhD student. There's a very little number of master students when you, when, when you come, you're like, the, the, the lowest chain, <laughs> like the, the lowest... Uh, and you're on the foundation of this pyramid, like pyramid of, um, and it's it's master. Yeah. You think like you're surrounded by smart people. They all have these titles and degrees and they publications and they. So the myth is like you're gonna go outside and you're gonna find uh, regular people. That's the myth. 
you go outside and guess what? You find people that don't have degrees, have degrees from colleges or community colleges or health degrees or college drops. And they're so smart, <laughs> like much smarter than some of the some of professors. And they're so interesting and they're so diverse and they know so they know so many things and they have so great ideas. And you understand that like the biggest myth I think in academia is that it's very hierarchical and linked uh, society. Mm-hmm. So and you out of respect, you always have this people that you know been awarded and there's a Nobel prizes and like oh my god you know I was working in, in the lab next to other Yonats and then she received the pro Nobel prize and I was like wow I was working next to the Nobel 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 award I was like yeah so this is the biggest myth and there's uh, so many smart people and it's not related by any by any means uh, to the number of years they spend in the academia. And I'm not saying that people in academia are not smart. It's not like it's yeah. not. There's so many smart people there, both in academia and in the industry. And it's just not correlated to the number of years they spend in, 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 in academia. And again, it's either directly connected to their curiosity and their values and, 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 and their passion and motivation. And it doesn't matter how they learn, they always learn. Some people just always learn from Google or by going to Coursera or by just listening. They don't have time um, to know to, 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 to go to degrees, but they're always listening. So they, they're going and attending some courses and there's uh, some some people here on the, I'm sure they completed several degrees from Stanford just by going and listening to all of this amazing, uh, amazing uh, curriculums that we have at Stanford. So yeah, this is the biggest myth. I love it. Thank you. Thank you yeah, very much. It is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Uh, it was fascinating. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rhino. And even... Yeah, and for Rhino, if anybody there interested in developing <laughs> algorithms and uh, in federated and want to collaborate between institutions, I'm, I'm sure that some people are still in in the institution and they are uh, AI developers or they're developing algorithm and they want to collaborate with other institutions, but they have this hurdles about data sharing. Just ping me on LinkedIn and we're going to find something because we still have a very good pilot program fantastic good to good to know uh i think for disclosure i should say that yuval one of the founders is a good friend and it's uh <laughs> it, i was so happy when he he was uh, many years in google and when he switched uh to the pharma industry i was like yes one more good person sort of switching to the right industry and i was i was really happy uh when he founded this company so um i would definitely recommend to check it out uh, thank you, Yuli, for your time. This is really fascinating. I'm sure people will learn a lot. Um, to those listening, I invite you to join our Macademia group and follow our uh, Twitter account and, um, and ping uh, Yuli with questions. She, she just invited you to. So thank you and good night. Thank you. Thank you.